0: What are your qualifications? Ah,
1: well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I
0: travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You
1: just don't know when to give up, do you?
0: I could do this all day. The
1: Matt car Podcast. <sighs> welcome to the podcast this is matt sodnikar i'm sitting here with uh, my friend megan hotman uh, attorney cyclist the cyclist lawyer uh, cycling advocate and recently third in the women's single speed at the dirty kansas 200 miles 15 and a half hours one (laughs) gear.
0: i mean 206 miles but who's counting 206 (laughs) miles
1: duly noted (laughs) megan welcome thank you for being on i appreciate it
0: thanks for having me absolutely
1: yeah, so I just wanted to start by, uh, you know, we've known each other kind of indirectly for a couple of years, and you're the cyclist lawyer. And um, did you always want to be a lawyer?
0: No, (laughs) no, I will be completely candid. It was just a mere byproduct of graduating college at 21, having no idea what I wanted to do with my life and thinking law school would, no matter what, serve me in the corporate world having a JD and it bought me three more years of decision-making. So yeah,
1: I found it for law school
0: and went straight in right after graduation. So I did seven years straight through. Then I was 24 and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. (laughs) I don't today, so don't feel bad. Okay, good. At
1: least you have a nice office and, right. and a reputation. So. Oh,
0: thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> a good, good. reputation. <laughs> that's good.
1: Well, that's how I became an engineer because in high school I had you know above average grades and I had math and science courses and I had a counselor go, Well, you should be an engineer. I had no idea what that was. And I loved part of it. I hated most of it. I had a dull headache for ten years, and I was an engineer.
0: Oh, I believe that.
1: And it's like, well, uh, just kind of
0: grind it out. Yeah. It's what you do when you grow up. You just suffer till you retire. <laughs> oh, our system's so broken that way. I mean, if I could go down like the rabbit hole on a soapbox, it would be that. That that's at eighteen you're forced to decide what you're gonna do for the next forty to fifty years. And right. then you just put your head down and it's gonna suck and that's just what adulting means. And then maybe when you're sixty five you can have a fun life again. <laughs> so daunting and also just depressing. <laughs> and i think we've just convinced our society that's the way that is the way
1: exactly exactly my my life trajectory has changed so many times over the years and careers and interests and relationships and i've learned to sort of embrace that uncertainty and have a direction and somewhat of a plan but be ready to yeah. pivot At a moment's notice sometimes.
0: I think that's how the universe works. I think it drops things on you and you're either listening or you're not. But I think my personal opinion, that's where a lot of the tension in our lives comes from, is that we are presented with those pivot points. And if we're in that mindset of no, 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 this is my course and I'm not gonna consider anything else and I'm gonna like live when I retire, I think a lot of the tension that many of us deal with is that we're presented with these new opportunities, doors are constantly opening in front of us and closing. And we just get stuck in this one channel and, um, I think when we're in conflict with what our sole purposes and what we're being called to do, which can change and evolve, mm-hmm. I think that's where we lose a lot of our sleep. And that's where a lot of our internal tension comes from. Um, I don't think anyone loves their job hundred percent of the time, but I think you enjoy your job. If you feel like your talents are being utilized and if you have a purpose if there's like a if there's an end game of some kind and um, whatever that is and whatever that looks like um, it doesn't have to be a big fancy expensive you know well-paying job it can just be something that utilizes your talent and makes you feel purposeful and i think that changes i think that changes as life unfolds before us and if we ignore these things that come at us i mean i could give you a million examples of this tug that i would feel for example, the office you're sitting in, I've lived in this area since 2009. I rode by this building 100, 200, 300 times, never thought anything of it. One day on a bike ride in 2012, had started my firm two years prior, was working from home. Something tugged at me to stop at this building. I can't explain it, but I listened, and I came into this building, and the owner was here. and The two businesses on the end of the building were both moved in, but the interior middle of the building was a shell. The owner happened to be here. He was standing inside the door I knocked on the door. He happened to be a cyclist. His name was Greg. And we immediately hit it off. Like the connection was so apparent. And I thought this is absolutely the place I want to have my office. This is the kind of guy I want to be my landlord and um, he was on board because we were both passionate about cycling and so i did i proceeded to rent the space and the whole upstairs became my cycling studio which was a lifelong dream i could never figure out how to bring my desire to teach spin classes with being a lawyer and so it all right here in this building. And after being a tenant for a year, he started talking loosely about wanting to sell the building, but he didn't want to sell it to like some big commercial conglomerate. He wanted it to be someone like him, like a small one man show. And so it came to be that I purchased this amazing real estate from this guy. And it all was because I listened to my gut that day. And I think, I think that happens to us hundreds of times during our week and And if we're, if our head is down and like in the grindstone and we're just so busy and so frantic and so overscheduled and so determined to just suffer till we retire, we miss so many things like that. So to your point about changing your trajectory, I mean, I think that's the only way to live.
1: It sounds, um, I'm hearing elements of like stoicism and Zen in there. Is that something that you routinely are, are aware of or practice or study?
0: Um, not specifically i would say i've adopted a very um aware a lot of awareness self-awareness um yoga practice began in 2011 after my first really bad bike crash yoga is how i started to recover from that yoga brought about a whole new level of self-awareness i've always been a religious person and was raised religious i would say yoga brought to me a really cool spirituality that i didn't have before and an awareness and um Uh, I do read like the daily stoic by Ryan holiday. I relate to those things quite a bit. Um, but I also do believe that we are called that each of us is, is called to a life purpose and you can call that whatever you want, religious stoicism, whatever you want. But I think part of our job is to find it. And we feel really good when we're swimming in that channel. Um, and I can tell you just from, you know, chasing bike racing for years and having it be so hard everything that could go wrong went wrong for me every single time and then as soon as i shifted my practice my focus to this practice it was like oh this is what it feels like to swim with the current (laughs) (laughs) not against the current oh i see that this is where the i mean it was like i had to get the message hammered into me over and over and over and over again um you know to the point where i was getting pretty hurt until i finally heard the message and i remember specifically the emotionally blast. hurt physically hurt uh, physically hurt it was like the universe was like oh you're not listening okay how about this one do you hear me now <laughs> and i remember bam. yeah that's what it felt like you know i finally made it onto an elite team in 2011 we were sponsored by bh bikes and primal and not my ride And I had a really bad crash at cascade and I broke my collarbone in a bunch of pieces and ribs and they thought they were going to have to stick a chest tube in. It was this whole thing. It was, I was a mess. And, um, and I came back and I was so gung ho to do well at track nationals that fall. And just the hopes that maybe I could make it on the Olympic long team for the 2012 Olympics. And so I, I popped back up from that surgery and was right back on the bike surgery was on July 28th. Um, And August 28th, I just had removed the last of the band-aids from like all the road rash that morning. And I was riding down Pine Ridge road, which is right up here north of my office coming downhill to go ride the lookout mountain hill climb, which was in conjunction with the pro challenge Mm -hmm. at the time. And for whatever reason, this was this. So cascade was actually the second bad crash of that summer. The first one I'd had a skewer pop open on my front wheel and I ate it in the, uh, Silk criterium. Second one was cascade. And then the third one coming down Pine Ridge Road, my front tire blew out on me and I ate it all over again in the middle of the road. And my mom who you've met was actually ahead of me on the scooter. So she saw the whole thing in the rear view in the side mirror and she freaked out understandably. Um, so I laid on the, on the road up there and I had a very specific moment where I looked up at the sky and I was like, I get it. I get it. This is not what you want me to be doing. Like you're just going to keep teaching me these lessons until I hear it. And it was crazy. I just literally that day kind of hung up my, my true bike racing passions. And, um, I don't know about you, but no one prepared me for what it feels like when you mourn the death of a dream. And that was really hard on me. Cause, um, cycling was everything to me and I always wanted to make it in the sport. And I just sort of acknowledged that it wasn't for me. It wasn't meant to be, it wasn't in the cards. So I switched my focus to my firm and helping people and helping cyclists and becoming a better lawyer and becoming more involved in the community and making the world a better place by getting people on bikes. And, I don't want to call it easy, but I will just say that the relative ease of settling into the space where I was intended to be, as opposed to the friction that I always felt in the bike racing, um, it was palpable.
1: So... So what was your dream? I mean, that's a very powerful, I mean, did you have, did you want to be a pro I racer?
0: I did from, from the moment I started doing well on bikes, um, 2005 was a big year for me because I went to the nature Valley Grand Prix and, and came away with the best amateur Jersey. And that's in a field of 120 some women to have been the highest place cat two at the time was when people started reflecting to me that, Hey, you actually have a legitimate shot here, but the timing was always off and I finally quit work and tried to race full time two. 2008 which is when the market crashed so mm. all the women's teams vanished because the marketing budget is the first thing to go and so i went running back to the law and got another job and, and so the timing just never worked out but i was always still just thinking oh my god i would just love to have been on webcore colavita or united Healthcare. i just i was always chasing those team directors down always looking for my shot when I wouldn't get it, I would just say, fine, I'm just going to start my own team. Then (laughs) I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. And, you know, we were never at that level. We, we played in the sport, but you know, we were never, um, you know, at the top of the sport. And it was always just hard as, as a solo rider racing cascade by myself or, um, then I finally made it on that team and I thought, okay, this is my shot. 2011. This is finally, maybe we can turn this into a career for a couple of years. It just was never meant to be.
1: So that dream when you're laying in the road and you talked about the death of the dream, was it like a blast door coming down for you or did you have days or weeks of wrestling with the permanence of that decision?
0: It was the former. Um, So, uh, and again, my mom, you've met her. She had come out for the whole month of August. So I crashed at the end of July at Cascade had my surgery, was back on the bike the next day, literally rode 50 miles the day after I had my collarbone surgery. Um, Are you supposed to do that? I mean, the surgeon put me back together knowing that I was going to be doing this. This Uh, That's why I love the guys at Panorama because they work with athletes. And so he, he said, you know, obviously ideally you would stay chilled out for six weeks, but I know that you're not going to, so (laughs) I'm going to put the plate in a place where it can handle what you're about to do. And so he knew full well what I was going to be doing. So yeah, my, um, ex-husband and I actually went on a 50 mile uh, ride the following day. And so it was like right back into it. And then I knew that motor pacing would be the only way for me to get my fitness back and get fit for the track within the time period that I had. So my mom actually came out for a month and motor paced me um, basically twice a week. Uh, I think we went every Tuesday, Thursday, and then I was doing big road rides and stuff in between and ice baths and juicing beets, And I mean, I threw everything at it that I possibly could. And so to have kind of suffered through the pain of the surgery and healing and all that and gotten right back on the horse. And then given it this full month of like full gas where I was finally back primed, you know how you kind of can just tell when you're just like sharp again. And so to be riding over to look out fully anticipating that I was going to just crush the race that morning. Cause I was just so peaked and then to just eat it in the middle of the road and, um, you know, kind of see the occurrence happening even through my mom's eyes, kind of to see that being reflected back at me. Um, we had to have a stranger give me a ride home cause my bike was busted and there was, um, she couldn't get me on the scooter and stuff. So we had to have a stranger. And I just remember thinking like, yep, yeah, this is, I'm, this is it. And she and I had a very tearful exchange when we got back to my house that day. And I think she kind of knew it too. Like, yeah, no, this is, we're done. We're done here. So, Um, you know, I kept racing and stuff. I kept doing local racing, but the dream died that day for sure.
1: I had no idea. I... (laughs) Thanks for sharing that story. Sure, is, sure, yeah. I, well, you know, going back to so many other things, I remember seeing your post on Facebook of the Daily Stoic is, I think I was, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook anymore, except for you know, some business stuff, but I remember seeing that post. And so, you know, you and I have talked about this conversation for six months, probably yeah, three, four months. So I saw that and I I had a sense that there was something, Uh, in common or a little bit deeper here. And so that's, that's a really cool story.
0: You know, in the scheme of things, there are cyclists that suffer far worse crashes, far worse injuries. Looking back, I know now why I went through that experience and it is this, we were up at Mount Bachelor. I think that's a ski resort, I was five miles into the road race when this crash happened at Cascade. had the unfortunate occurrence of being strapped to a backboard, being transported by ambulance to Bend, which was about an hour, if I remember. It felt very long. My whole team's out on the road still racing, My team director's still out on the road, so I'm alone throughout this whole process, and then I'm alone at the ER and in the hospital wearing one of those giant neck things and the doctor's coming in saying you have to stay overnight because there's a very good chance that your lungs are going to collapse. We're gonna to have to do a chest tube alone throughout. Right. And so, you know, I'm on the phone with my parents. I'm on the phone with my ex-husband. But there's no one physically there with me. And, um, had I not experienced that, so fast forward now, I've been in practice now eight years, we've handled over 120 bike cases. Almost every one of my clients has had that experience. Had I not experienced that and felt the vulnerability and the isolation and sheer panic and fear, and not only that, strangers are in charge of your destiny. And also the sense of like, there's no cavalry coming it's time to be a big girl right now in this moment and kind of own your shit. Um, now I know how all my clients feel. And so when they sit here and they tell me all the emotions and trauma and anxiety and everything that they're experiencing, I have thankfully never been hit by a car, but I have been in the same trauma situation and I can identify with them. And it's hu- It's hugely important for me. It brings a whole nother level of awareness and appreciation for what they're going through so that that experience happened for a reason and there's been a lot of good that has come from that um interestingly enough and i can send it to you but um our host housing guy was a photographer and he happened to be there in the moment so as i'm on the road um, i can tell i'm messed up the ambulance has just arrived the race has gone up the road he got a picture of me and it's just total devastation because it's i finally made it on a team i'm finally here at the nrc race i'm finally racing really well and then this happens and um he caught that moment on the camera and i've used it in some presentations and i actually really can't not choke up when i see it because i remember how i felt in that moment so i don't have that picture of the moment (laughs) up here on pine ridge which was the month later when i knew that things were done but the one that's on the road from bend is is pretty powerful so that's a that's like one of those trajectory moments for sure
1: I was gonna ask if it still had an impact
0: yeah oh yeah I, yeah I'd love yeah. to see it I mean yeah. those those sure.
1: are powerful Yeah. powerful things aren't always pleasant
0: nope nope but it's you know i recovered i actually broke my collarbone again at Fat bike worlds encrusted butte in 2016 so i have two plates now and um 13 screws and so i've been through that twice and you know that time was just because i got going too fast in the snow and i stuck my arm out because there was already one plate it broke the distal end that happens um you know that's bike racing so people have been through far worse and i feel very thankful um so anyway <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, going back to something you said before about the, uh, uh, one of the very first things you said about being aware of things like that. And I listened to a book this past fall called unfuck yourself and I'll send you the the link, but he talks about, I don't think he calls it misery, but I think unhappiness or discontent. It's the difference between what your expectations are in your reality. And he's not talking about settling for whatever is going on. He says that you know if your expectation is you know to to be a bike racer and he says it's, it's just about managing that reality. And I'm with you like the the less time that I spend on netflix or with my face and my phone or on the computer and i just take a minute and i'm bored and i look out the window and i say oh you know, and i have a friend who i used to work with years and years ago he was a buddhist and he always uses this example and i've never forgotten this he goes if you're just driving down the road and you start he says look at all the red cars there's no more red cars on the road than there were yesterday or there will be tomorrow you're just aware of them. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that that's on a long list of books I'm going to write. That's yeah. like the red car theory yeah. or whatever, but it's just, once you're aware, I don't think you never go back.
0: Nope and i'm in this state no i i i think boredom's great by the way i have completely changed the way i schedule my life where there's a lot of time and i wouldn't call it boredom but it's downtime where mm-hmm. i'll just sit in the backyard and literally just bliss out staring at the bottom of my tree while my dogs are laying next to me and um that happens often um that's part of my schedule is that there's significant white space i used to try to fill it with time with friends and people in my life but everyone is so busy i've had to just be okay with the fact that it's gonna mostly just be me in that time which is okay um the awareness piece has taken me now to this whole new like my new rabbit hole here's my current space (laughs) (laughs) um i wanted to get away from sugar i had kind of a mental physical burnout uh this spring cortisol levels off the charts the whole thing just had, had spread myself too thin with kind of big decisions big responsibilities also physically training and um, so I had a bunch of blood work done learned a bunch of stuff there just from a biological physiological standpoint what that has done is changed my entire approach to eating sleeping movement um, like I told you earlier, I quit drinking this year. The awareness that I now associate with I ate a meal. How did it make me feel? Um, I didn't have enough water yesterday. How did that make me feel? Something changed in my sleeping environment. How did that make me feel? And um you have to have downtime to have that ability to process those things because if you're rushing everywhere, you don't get to think about how the big Mac makes you feel like you're you feel like shit all the time, right. <laughs> so that's really been interesting and just like, wow, I'm riding really, really well right now. What's happened? What's changed? What's had, what did that make me feel? And, um, I got rid of all the dairy products. I'm no gluten, um, very, very minimal sugar. And it's been amazing. I switched to bulletproof coffee. So I have like all this fat in my diet. Now I feel more optimized than I've ever felt in my whole life. Like Like a Ferrari. I mean, I feel like I was a Ford F 150 before, and now I'm a Ferrari. (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, I, I rue the fact that I didn't discover this sooner because back when I was racing at my peak, at my pinnacle of my career, I was eating Pop-Tarts and Dr. Pepper for sugar before races and now knowing what I know. Oh my gosh. So mostly plant-based. I'm buying almost all my vegetables from a local co-op here that's all from local farmers. Um, When I do eat eggs, I get them from a friend up in Lafayette that has chickens running around her backyard with her golden labs and um, have moved away from meat products right now just because I'm tuning in with... I don't want to call it vegan. I don't want to call it anything. It's just like an awareness. It's fascinating. I mean, if I could if I could help people with small changes to their diet, I think we'd have a whole nother society. I think it's, I think it's affecting us more than we realize from Monsanto all over our foods with their freaking roundup and what that's doing to us to sugar and 87% of the foods that we buy, like your ketchup. I mean, it's killing us. And so that's kind of where I'm at. So it's, I'm so excited about it. So
1: the sugar is the killer. I've had worse sugar hangovers than beer hangovers in my entire life. And it's usually around the holidays yeah. where it'll be. Where we overdo it. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of my
0: we all do. <laughs> tendency. We yeah. all do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But right. again, there's an awareness there. Like you are checking in with, oh, I feel like shit. And that's because I just ate sugar grease for six days. And I don't want to feel like that anymore. And as much as I like that cookie and I can give up alcohol way easier than I can give up sweets.
1: See, I'm the reverse of that.
0: You can give up sweets easier than alcohol. (laughs) And I gave them both up and I feel amazing. And now I'm like, fuck you Monsanto. You're not going to ruin my day. (laughs) And you and your sugar shit that you want to feed us all.
1: Anyway. Well, it's funny because it, between like the coincidence of the daily stoic on Facebook and just two days ago, I got a, a, dry erase marker. And on my stove, I wrote, um, be aware. And then what do you need? Mm -hmm. Because what I found myself is just being busy. So I, I, I I dance around with intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. I've done no sugar, no grains for a while. But what I found is that when I get busy, and or distracted and I'm hungry, then it's sort of just like pouring food into my face. So I needed like a little gate right there just to say, you know, what do you really need? And so I had some leftovers from a barbecue and I just took third of those awesome instead of all of it which i know i could have eaten and it was this amazing tater time and you would have pino casserole (laughs) sounds amazing (laughs) oh yeah that lights
0: up the brain like a christmas tree
1: yes yes but just uh, you know and i don't want or need to lose weight i don't think but i just want to feel about that right
0: yes yes
1: I just want to feel better. And again, it's going back to that first piece, which is awareness. And then now what can I do differently to make an impact?
0: Yeah. So yep. when,
1: when can you drink again? When can I buy you a beer?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. To be honest, just, uh, so my four goals going into the year, I'm, I'm a goal person and then someone challenged me to share them publicly, which I'll just say for purposes of you in this podcast, when you have goals, put them out into the world. And so um, I belong to this organization called EO entrepreneurs organization. One of the guys in there said, put your map out there. So at the beginning of the year, I publicly, on my, my lawyer Instagram, which may or may not be appropriate. I don't care. I shared my personal goals for the year, which are to ride 10,000 miles to donate $10,000 to a group called hope sports, which is run by a former professional cyclist and they build homes for families in Mexico to um, have it be the year of no drinking and a year of no shopping. And so this all has tied into this nutritional, but also awareness and minimalist stuff in a really neat convergence. Um, People started offering to just donate to my 10,000 miles to raise money for the $10,000 Hope Sports. Wasn't even soliciting that, that just came to me by virtue of sharing my goals. People reach out to me all the time and share their struggles with alcohol and, like, oh man, I wish I could give it up for a whole year. And we have a really great dialogue about that. Um, it turned into one of my closest friends um, checking in with me. She's like, will you be my accountability partner? I'm going to quit drinking for a while. So she checks in with me. It's fantastic. I'm so stoked for her. Um, and what I find with no drinking is that once you have put it out there, people just stop bothering you about it. If you're like, oh, I'm just going to have a couple drinks at this thing, everyone's going to keep buying you drinks, then you're going to get loaded. That's just what happens. But if you're like, no, I'm really not drinking at all, then people just leave it be. And I'm not like the no fun, you know, police or the teetotaler it's just for me alcohol is kryptonite and I give up my edge when I have that in my life so um, right now I'm all about sharpening the blade and that is not helpful to me Um, I mean I was thinking about just this morning on my run how many obstacles people have in their lives they have to overcome that they didn't get a say in whether it's physical impairments or scarring or learning disabilities or I mean you name it right and I have this thing, alcohol, that I can just eliminate from my life. It's something that I can choose. And so um, for me, it's been a year, or it will be a year at the end of the year, um, but it may very well become a lifetime practice because it's just so good for me. I mean, the time I haven't lost being hungover or being out too late or just the calories, I have an app that keeps track of how much money I've saved. I mean, it would blow your mind. (laughs) <laughs> really? What's the app? It's called I'm Done Drinking. It's a 99 cent app, and it—no kidding. Yep, and it keeps track of it on on a second by second basis. So I just celebrated 200 days the other day. So, um, fifteen hundred dollars saved and almost thirty thousand calories, and um like that inspires me too, right? You know, because then I have something to show for that. But
1: wow. Anyway. Well, how about we go for a ride? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. I'm
0: into kombucha. I'm big into kombucha. Okay. So you can definitely buy me a kombucha. Okay. Yeah.
1: And I get the sense I'll probably see you at the start of the ride and at the end of the ride. So, just as long as I can keep you in sight up the hill.
0: I mean, that's the cool thing about the 10,000 gold um, undertaking is that they don't have to be fast miles. Right. So. Just
1: miles. Meaning I know you're going to smoke and I'm fine with that.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, no, I doubt it. We'll
1: be fine. <laughs> Trust me. Well, and it reminds me of this story that this guy who was instrumental in getting the warm front off the ground and his son, I don't know this for a fact, but I think one of the reasons that we connected as well as we did is that he reminded me of his son. And his son eventually sadly took his own life because he was struggling with alcohol. And Bill told me that he just said that, where do I meet people? Where do I go? And what do I do? Because he said, I can't go to the bars.
0: It is incredibly isolating. I won't lie to you there.
1: Yeah. And I felt it a little bit uh, with my son this year because he's 20 and he's, he just turned 21 on Monday and we went out we went to run club on Tuesday and he had a beer. (laughs) But up until then he's, and I I remember it myself, you're in this, this sort of no man's land. You're an adult, but you can't go out. And he's not much of a drinker and that's fine, but he's like, well, where do I go and what do I do? And I noticed that in the winter this year, it's like it was great when the sun was up, but the sun goes down. I'm like, well, I don't want to sit on the sofa. What do you, What do I do? Yep. Um, and I'm so happy we're really not talking a whole lot about good legal too. stuff. Me too. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, yeah, I'm thrilled. You'll notice that I've careened you right off the cliff into this whole other area, it's, but I find this brilliant. way more interesting. Uh, So I've been single for the last three years. And um, I used to just kind of like to get out of my house and just to go be around people, I would just go have a glass of wine somewhere. And it wasn't necessarily to meet someone or meet a guy. It was just to be out. And so I would chat up the people at the bars around me. I'd chat up the bartender. It was just fun, human interaction. And um, now that I don't drink, it has been very isolating um, no offense to people that do drink, but I think consciously or subconsciously, they don't really want the person who's not drinking around. So you tend to get less invites to just go out with people in general. But I also can't just go sit up to the bar and just chat people up anymore because yes, I could order a club soda, but no bartender wants you doing that. (laughs) And you know, I'm not going to spend 20 bucks to sit at a spot in the bar to like, so, you know, there's that component. So the answer to what you do is you just plug in, to people and communities in other ways. So you get involved, whether it's serving on a board or um, volunteering, like Arvada's got this volunteer park ranger gig right now that I'm strongly considering. And um, Do you get a hat?
1: Do you get like a ranger do hat? You, really?
0: And, and a ranger t-shirt. <laughs> and they teach you first aid. I know, right? You're into it too. It's three hour, three hours, three times a week. So I'm definitely thinking about that. And you go around make sure people aren't screwing off in the parks. And then um, you get a free fishing license, you know? So that's the kind of thing or i just chat up people in the grocery store all the time especially because i ride there by bike i almost always have my helmet on when i'm in the store and someone will talk to me always or the people at the cash register and that's really fun for me i have more purposeful intentional conversations with my neighbors now um, because these are my human contacts for the day and it's not sitting at a bar and meeting people so joining a run club is great something like that I have started um, just last weekend, I did a fundraiser at a CrossFit gym. I'm not super into CrossFit because to me, it's going to be a great way for me to hurt myself. But that said, the sense of community that I experienced while I was there was really awesome. And I'm going to go back again tonight and do another class with them and just plug into this whole new group of people that I've never met before who are super awesome and they want to just get fit. And then I'm just going to modify the workout the way that it will keep me from injuring myself (laughs) i mean i seriously could almost not walk monday and tuesday from to work out but so anyway i mean that's kind of an interesting commentary about alcohol and the circles i run in which are lawyers and entrepreneurs both rely heavily on alcohol as the social you know mainframe and um that's okay it's just you know, I think we have to be careful sometimes about how we numb out or we seek out things that help us numb out. And part of my work right now, I'm focusing more and more on the legal profession, trying to help them find health and wellness. Part of my challenge is going to be, let's put the alcohol down for a second and go find some other way, some other outlet, Um, whether it's getting a massage or going to yoga or going on a hike or just something like you will benefit, not just as a lawyer, but as a human. Um, so again, I'm not trying to be the fun police. I'm just, if we want to take up these hundred years on earth and be amazing while we're here, this is part of being truly optimized.
1: Just make better decisions. Yeah.
0: And you can have your beers, no problem. Like you can go have your beers, but in these two circles in particular that I run in, I see a lot of excess. And so, you're giving up your edge. You're, you're never going to perform as well as a lawyer as an entrepreneur. If you feel like shit, right? You just aren't for whatever reason. It could be the big Mac too. It doesn't have to be the alcohol. Um, It could be six hours of mind numbing crap that you watch on television. Like I think it's all again, awareness, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can see. It. I see it in your eyes, and I hear it as I'm saying it. I've gone off the deep end on this stuff. No, not at all.
1: <laughs> not at all. Because I, I think um, I think excess in anything is could be laziness to some extent, or a lack of discipline, you know. And but then again, like total and abstinence, and I'm not using this in a sexual term, but that could be it's kind of balancing that needle, you know in excess to absence right because you peg the needle like extremes I try to avoid extremes Extremes
0: are always typically bad I mean I said always but um, but, you know I use the example of Anthony Bourdain because that really affected a lot of people and when I dug into his story a little bit he had been sober for over ten years as I understand it and then at some point decided that he could do moderation with alcohol and he he could not and so there are people that can do moderation with whatever the vice is doesn't have to be alcohol um i am not one of those people with alcohol generally speaking so i'm recognizing that's my shortcoming and i'm also owning the fact that it's in my complete control to do something about it so i thrive in a space where i take self-discipline and i just like crank it up a notch now does that make me extreme maybe but do I really want to play moderation with something that I know is not hundred percent, not good for me and can only really result in problems for me. So, you know, that's just my example. Um, anyway,
1: but here would be my question, not just in this conversation, but with anybody telling me a similar story is, are you content?
0: I am because I'm
1: then it's fine.
0: I'm living my most authentic, Life, Like I'm proud of my days. Let me answer it that way. I would say this year I have experienced more of my perfect days sequentially than I have in the 38 years prior. And it's because I've made a few of these very pivotal shifts and I've just drawn a line in the sand and said I'm not doing that for this period of time. And there's no negotiation, there's no moderation. Like sugar is a classic example. I can't do moderation with sugar. I can't bring a bag of M&M's home and only have a handful. (laughs) It just doesn't exist. Maybe I'm just a compulsive person, and if so, I'll own that too. But my days are so fully optimized and so amazing. And like my performance and capacity this year has been unbelievable. Uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. So content, yes. A little bit isolated, but... that's just a byproduct of kind of how I structure my days. For example, I told you I'm not really driving much these days. I'm riding my bike everywhere. Well, I'm out here in Golden. (laughs) And so this is kind of my sphere of existence right now. You know, I could be going to downtown Denver every day if I wanted to, I just don't. So um, yeah, pros and cons with everything, right?
1: That's how to look at it. Right. Yeah. And, and like I said, that's why I asked that question in that way is if you're content or you're satisfied, then what you're doing is fine. And, yeah. You know, and <clears throat> I separate happiness differently than contentment because you can totally. be really happy you know, watching a, a movie that makes you laugh. That's happiness. But contentment is longer lasting.
0: Yep. I'm living a life right now that if my day ended today on my ride home, which that's a whole nother topic for discussion, but I have a very, very acute awareness of it because of what I see and do every day. Uh, this is a life that I'm proud of. This is a, I'm at a place where I feel like I'm making a difference in the world and in people's lives. I feel like my output is significantly higher. So I'm bringing my fullest self to the table, whether it's a client interaction, whether it's a court hearing, um, the discussions I'm having, I'm, I'm more present than I've ever been. And those things all make me very content because I feel like I'm actually utilizing my time and my talents. Like we talked about earlier. I'm not just half in. Yeah. Well, and you go
1: back to, you mentioned something very Instrumental to all this is the decision, right? You're making decisions. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I read a book, uh, Deep Survival mm, that was I'll send you that okay link. Um, and it's not like the prepper tinfoil hat survival stuff. Like this guy actually he looked into um life and death situations, who lived and who died and why. Oh, wow. And the single there's two important factors. Don't talk about one. And the one that people survives is they kept making the next most important decision. And that leads into control and optimism. But it's like, if you're tired, you sit down and you sleep. If you're hungry, you get something to eat. You stay in the moment. And like, what's the next decision that's going to keep me. And so it gives you, it might be a false sense of control, but it is a sense of control and yes you and I both know that the world is completely random oh, yeah. there's you know either literal or figurative asteroids headed towards your life or even this planet and it's like <laughs> there's nothing that we really control at the end of the day no nope. but it's like what do you do for your own existence right
0: Right. And I will say this is the first time I have ever felt this in control of my life and how my time is spent rather than having my energy taken from me and having aspects of my day taken from me. I have gotten really good with my nose and I have really assessed, is this a good use of my time and talents?
1: And that's N-O apostrophe. Yes, not your nose. And so. N-O.
0: <laughs> as as the opposite of yes, I used to be the yes girl to everything do what I can for everyone all the time, whether it made sense or not. Um, that's burnout waiting to happen. Um, you're not doing yourself any good in that space. I think too many people feel the shoulds and they get pulled into stuff that they have no business doing. Um, should have been a no, they made it a yes. They're resentful. They're already burnt out. Their cup is so empty. They have nothing to give. You see these people, they're in energy like preservation mode. Um, The interesting thing, though, is that I've been called intense more lately than I have before, and I don't know if people are just being more forthcoming with that feedback or if that's the image I'm projecting, but I would say my boundaries are stronger because I know how I want to feel and I know how I want to spend my day, so I'm less likely to let people take that from me, and so I've been um, called intense by a few people in different arenas of my life. Uh, recently, which is interesting because I'm a total softie and I don't <laughs> think of myself as intense, but I will say I own my day and I own my life. So maybe that's where that comes from.
1: Uh, I wonder if that comes from them just being so drastically different. Like Perhaps. I don't see intensity. I mean, I see clarity, I see determination and those are qualities and people that I'm drawn to that mm-hmm. I try to emulate and intense is, I don't see it as a bad thing. Like, well, you're not threatening no. any mess. No. I,
0: gosh, I, I certainly try not to be. Yeah. No. I mean, I am the girl chatting up everyone in the grocery store. So. With a helmet. <laughs> with a helmet on. <laughs> yeah. I have good laughs with strangers on an almost daily basis. Yesterday, I rode up Lookout Mountain and a deer on the side of the road stayed right where it was. And I got closer and closer and closer. And I could have reached out and touched it. It was an arm's length away. And I just unclipped and stood there in the road and took a picture of it and looked at it and it would look up and it was making eye contact with me probably for a couple minutes. I just stayed there cause I was amazing. And another cyclist behind me, this guy rode up past me and he's like, wow, that's pretty awesome. What's happening there. He, and he continued on. I met him at the top and he said, um, you've got some good karma coming your way. He said, that was pretty magical. What just happened there. So not only did I have that cool experience, then I also had the super positive experience with this stranger on his bike. And that happens to me all the time. And I think it's because A, I'm not in a super hurry. I'm not usually rushed. And so I am able to have that conversation. Whereas if you're like, oh my God, I only have an hour to ride and I got to blah, 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 you're going to pass all that stuff by. Um, but, you know, that's so like, am I intense in that moment? I don't think so. I'm pretty chatty, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I guess it depends on the context and when you catch me in my day, whether I'm intense or not
1: whatever that's awesome that's <laughs> awesome well we're right at uh 40 minutes i said we we're going to do a hard out and i think this is going to be an excellent part one perfect and like i said i'm so excited we didn't really talk about anything cycling or legal related so this is this is just a wonderful surprise for me
0: perfect good <laughs> me as well good. these are the things on my heart right now so Thanks for letting me take it where I wanted to go.
1: (laughs) You're the boss. This is not my show.
0: (laughs) It actually is your show, but...
1: (laughs) Megan Hotman, thank you. And then I will come back to Golden. We'll go for a ride.
0: Perfect. Sounds good.
1: Thank you.